Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Christine. My name is Keith. And this is your favorite Canadian a podcast. It's a bit of a tournament to figure out who your favorite Canadian actor is. We are on episode number 10. We have about three. Is this our... We have two episodes after this one left in this round. Is that correct, Keith? Yeah, we're going to have two more after this. I, I, I said at a previous episode that we actually had two left, but I bungled the math a little bit. Bye. We have two more regular episodes, and then we have uh, a, a wild card dealie. I'll let you know who's with us today, which is Mark, Melanie, and Dan. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you want to hear some results, guys, from last week? Yes, please. Yes, I really right, do. Well, yes. Last episode. Well, I'll start off with the uh, the top one. It was kind of the, uh, in some ways, like an East Coast battle. We had uh, Ellen Page, who was represented by Melanie, against Colleen Dewhurst, who was represented by Christine. And with a 62 to 38% margin, the winner on that one was Ellen Page. Yes! Well deserved. <laughs> <laughs> Good game. I thought that one would be closer than it was. I really did. Um, however, I mean, it result, wasn't a total shutout. Okay, <laughs> not a total shutout. It doesn't really surprise me, to be honest. Not because of the presentations, but Ellen Page is a huge star. People love her, and yeah, I, I, I do she's too. Phenomenal. She's I doing do, really I, great work. She's so popular on the mm, east coast of Canada and yeah. across Canada and yeah. North America. Um, also, got a reaction from Matt on this one. Um, also about what I expected, a decisive victory, but not an absurd landslide. Hmm. Paige has a cool factor that will carry her far. So uh, congratulations to our fellow Blue Noser, who is going Great on work, to the next Kelly. round. Our second one um, was uh, John Candy, mm. uh, repped by Mark, against Bruno Gerussi, repped by me. And uh, with a 89 to 11% win, it's going to John Candy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's not not really surprised. Yeah. No. I was a little concerned. You made a, a mean case for Mr. Jerusi, Keith. So I, I figured it would be a little closer than that. Mm -hmm. But uh, happy to see uh, my man get through. I will just say this about the Beachcombers, though, and Bruno Jerusi. I really did. I wasn't here. I was on assignment. <laughs> I really loved that show when I was growing up. I, I watched it all the time, and um, I really think it's it sucks in, in some of these early rounds that actors like Bruno Gerussi go up against actors like John Candy. It's mm. uh, you know I don't know if he would have really had a chance. Yeah, uh, yeah that's that's hard. It's, that's a hard one. That's yeah. a tough one to go up against, but uh, mm -hmm. love that guy. Um, I'm I mean uh, I expected a a good show from John Candy. I expect him to actually do quite well in this. Mm -hmm. Um, disappointed by how big the margin was, but it's no reflection on John Candy. It's uh, it's you know you're going against it's the guy from Home Alone and Uncle Buck and the guy mm -hmm. that died young and everybody was devastated against somebody who was you know in, in many Canadians minds a one hit wonder from 30 years ago I, I knew there was no chance Bruno would go as far as he should let's hear what Matt had to say though mm. hmm. Matt disagrees kind of with me I think an expected blowout for Candy who despite the passage of time takes up a tremendous amount of space in the heart of anyone familiar with his work. Nice. That is an accurate assessment. Yeah, yeah. 
And very touching for Matt, actually. Yeah. That yeah. goes to show just how lovable and impactful oh, John Candy was. Yeah. But then again, you could read that with complete sarcasm, and he could mean the exact opposite of what he just said. So <laughs> That's true, too, if we've learned anything. And our third, Sarah Pauly versus Wayne Robson. Oh, yeah. With a win at 52%. Oh. Come down to one vote, guys. Right tight. Sarah Pauly. Yeah. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, Wayne Robson had been winning the whole way through. Last day, two people come in, voted for Sarah Polly. That was absolutely shocking to me. I thought that would be like 95% versus Heather. Um, uh, I, I just, I was blown away. I, I, as some of you know, I've teased Heather, uh, as, as the, the panel knows, I've teased Heather considerably about how. Wayne Robson was definitely like the 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 dark horse and 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 you know <laughs> my thought was you know we, we we have a thing where you know Chief Dan George or Paul Gross or uh, um, so many others aren't on this list like why is this guy here and this has all been proven wrong by the results because that was a big poll that, a big number of people that did vote for him maybe he he, he impacted people a lot more than I thought he did I, goes to I, show that there's like different you know markets and groups out there right yeah just because sure. the people you're used to are exposed to things that you think are big doesn't mean there aren't other groups out there that are, are rocking different things than you yeah yeah absolutely i mean i just i was shocked by that one well i i ended up voting for mr robson because of heather's presentation actually i was going in a, a sarah polly but um after listening to the the podcast I ended up voting for big wayne okay nice yeah, yeah so i because I really do like uh, Sarah Polly. I like her as a director as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I thought Heather's presentation was really good. So I was like, you know what? Wayne deserves the nod. So that, I mean, that's our closest one since Tantu Donnelly Rhodes back in episode two. Oh, yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, no, uh, you know, I, I, I stand humbled and, uh, and blown away by that one. Match reply uh, as the, uh, the winner of this round. Last but not least, oh damn, what a squeaker for Polly. I honestly wouldn't expect her to survive another round if she's that tight with Robson. And no offense intended here to Rob. Her body of work has become so, I think that's subdued because of her extracurricular activities, shall we say. Nice win, won't survive. So that's, uh, that's a little more Matt. There we go. <laughs> yeah. There he is. So that's our results from last week. Shall we jump into some presentations for this week? I would uh, love to. I think our first matchup is Dan and Melanie with Phil Hartman and Seth Rogen. Good luck, Melanie. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> Philip Edward Hartman. Born 1948, the pride of Bradford, Ontario, although some would argue it would be some hockey player named Wayne or uh, uh, the inventor of the telephone. But no, it's actually Phil Hartman is the pride of Bradford, Ontario, um, because why, you may ask, silently as I record my argument. Um, I think he was the greatest of all time, the GOAT, if you will, SNL cast member of all time. I think he was the... Uh, the backbone of that cast with his impressions and various characters. I mean, sometimes he would just be in one sketch for one second, deliver one line, and you'd never see that character again, and it was perfect. You'd see him again later on in another sketch as a completely different character with two or three lines, and it was a completely different person. Um, he did the same thing with The Simpsons. Um, 
you know, he had uh, a lot of characters on there, two of the most memorable characters of all time, um, uh, Troy McClure and Lionel Hutz, but I, I will get to that later on. Um, he basically uh, started off um, as an artist, actually. He used to design album covers for, for rock and roll bands. Um, so he's quite a talented guy. Um, then, And when he went to L.A., he ended up joining a um, – an improv sketch comedy group called the groundlings. Um, Paul Rubin was a member of that where they helped. Uh, he actually helped Paul Rubin uh, develop the character of Pee Wee Herman. Um, and uh, he worked with a number of different people there and he got noticed. And that led to him um, getting jobs on the Simpsons and also uh, Saturday night live. And when you think of Phil Hartman, um, you know, it's funny because when I was trying to put together my, um, my argument for for Mr. Phil Hartman here, I thought of something that uh, my friend Christine said during a uh, writer's workshop I was in that you should a good character you should always know in a play if that character is speaking without having to have that character's name mentioned, and I think you can do that with Phil Hartman, especially when it comes to some of his characters on. Um, on the Simpsons, especially Mr. Lionel Hutz. All you had to do was just drop one of his coach's uh, quotes. You know exactly who it is. You know who I'm talking about. You don't even have to say uh, Lionel Hutz. He has uh, so many uh, great lines like that classic, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, does this sound like a man who had all he could eat? You know it's Hutz. Uh, you know it's Hartman because he built that character or uh, Troy McClure where he has all those great quotes about the movies he's been in um, like those educational films as lead paint deadly but delicious um, and of course on the Pee Wee Herman show you know he showed his range he was on a children's show where he uh, played Captain Carl um, for what he wasn't a regular I think he would like pop in every now and again I think he was on like almost like 10 episodes of the Pee Wee Herman show um, as Captain Carol and then he would just kind of go on and go on The Simpsons and do his voices there. And then he was always on SNL. Um, and he was known in SNL, actually, for his absolutely over-the-top brilliant impressions of uh, characters like uh, Jimmy the Greek or Ed McMahon or uh, Frank Sinatra, that over-the-top vicious Frank Sinatra. Um but he also invented a lot of really wonderful original characters. Uh, my personal favorite favorites are uh, Anal Retentive Chef and my absolute favorite character of all time by Phil Hartman, Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer, which was uh, one of the funniest sketches of all time. And I I got to say, I think that there's a, a certain unnamed insurance company that uh, may or may not um, – have plagiarized that character, but I'm not going to say anything else. Um, and uh, he was also um, really good when he went on his own as – well, I shouldn't say on his own. He stepped away from sketch comedy and ensemble pieces to appear as one of the stars on news radio um, where he played um, Neil – oh, sorry, uh, Bill McNeil. Um, and he actually ended up getting a Emmy nomination for that as well for that role. Um, it was a short-lived show, uh, of course, with Dave Foley, Seth Rogen's distant cousin, uh, Joe Rogan. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Um, and it was it was a pretty solid sitcom. And Phil actually Phil Hartman actually played a bit of a straight man in this one, and he showed his depth as an actor, earning that Emmy nomination. Um, and he didn't stop there. He also appeared in a bunch of classic 
classic films like Three Amigos, Fletch Lives, Coneheads, and Jingle All the Way, which Jingle All the Way to the Oscars, believe it or not. No, that's actually not true either. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, Phil Hartman, I, and I don't want to end on, on the sad part here, but I have to mention Phil Hartman did die way, way too young, tragically in 19... 19- 98 at just um 49 years old he he sadly he was he was killed he was murdered um and it was it was such a tragedy not not of course first for his family and his friends and his colleagues that loved him and and had to go through that terrible thing but at 49 i really do feel like he was just starting to hit his stride like i i feel like he was one of those actors who was just just growing all the time he uh, he had more talent in a pinky finger than most actors have in their whole body. Um, it was it was he just he just went went way too fast. Um, but he did leave behind a um, uh, a plethora of memorable characters, both in animation, in television, and film. And um, that's why uh, Mr. Hartman is the goat, greatest Thank of all time. For those of you who. Are unfamiliar with the term goat. He wasn't actually a goat, but he was the best. Thank you, Dan. Again, yeah, Phil Hartman. What a mm-hmm. what a a maven of our youth in comedy, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Phil Hartman was the first celebrity death that I cried over. It really hit me hard, and I think mm-hmm. it was just because he died was so tragic. And I was a huge news radio fan. Mm. And, of course, they were, you know, he 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 died when they were still filming that show. So it was, mm. yeah, it was just, it was, it was just, it was just sad. It was just yeah. really sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, I mean, I, I it was, I, I think it's the most shocking celebrity death I remember. Yeah, I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing. And, and somebody said, wow, Phil Hartman's wife just shot him. Futurama. He was supposed to be the voice of Zap Brannigan, and uh, Billy West no, did no, his no, best no. Phil Hartman, and still created an amazing, you know, a Phil Hartman impression was a great character, you know. <laughs> yeah. And actually, uh, they named Fry Philip in his honor uh, on Futurama, the main character there. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Gay Fry. Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot you didn't mention about Phil Hartman because he did so friggin' much. I, yeah. I I know I tried to hit his his sketch comedy. Of course, you had to talk about the Simpsons, uh, um, television, and and all of the all the films he was in. I think he was yeah. he was in Wayne's World. He was in like, oh, he was in actually one of my favorite Phil Hartman characters is the prison guard in my favorite Mike Myers movie. So I married an axe murderer, <laughs> and when he's giving the tour of Alcatraz, <laughs> oh my god, it kills me. Like it just. It's just so funny because um, whenever anyone talks, he gets really angry and they all have to be quiet. Yeah, he was uh, like it, it was it's crazy because he was absolutely <coughs> talentless. And, you know, I was looking up at the some of the Simpsons characters that he did. And he had a couple in there um, that, that I didn't mention. But I mean, he really could have played anybody. He was the monorail guy, too. Yeah, Lyle he? Landley. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Yep. Forgot yeah. about him. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dan. Anyone else have anything about uh, Philly Hartman? I just he seemed like he had so much personality, you know, like mm. he wouldn't even have to do too much with uh, even his impressions, you know, like just one or two things. But he had so much that he could 
fly it to the moon with all of the the charisma and energy that he had. He was a lot of fun to watch and listen to. All right. So now we're going to turn it over to Mel for another beloved Canadian funny man, Seth Rogen. Yeah, I'm so I'm a little I'm a little bit nervous to go up against um, Dan and Phil Hartman because I think Phil Hartman is so was so loved. Uh, but I will say, as I was researching Seth Rogen, and first of all, I will I, I will okay, I'll preface this by saying that I am a Seth Rogen fan. First of all, he's lovable, he's goofy, he's Canada's favorite stoner. Um, but as I was researching, I realized that he does so much and has either written or produced or even you know had roles in more movies than than i than i even realized um he does everything from acting to producing to directing to writing to making ashtray pottery if you follow him on instagram uh to running his own toronto-based cannabis company to raising money for alzheimer's research so he does a little bit of everything and i can't mention it all but i will i will try to hit the uh the main stuff. Okay, Seth Aaron Rogan was born in Vancouver. He is 38 years old. He started his career as a teenager doing stand-up. He said that he made that decision after realizing you can indeed make money just by being funny. Uh, of course, getting a big break at 16 doesn't hurt, and that's what happened after he went to a local casting call for a little Judd Apatow show called Freaks and Geeks, a cult classic that uh, shamefully only ran for one season. And even though that show was prematurely canceled, it did mark the beginning of a beautiful collaborative friendship with Apatow, who I think is just fantastic. In 2004, uh, he made, uh, sorry, in 2004, after making appearances in movies like The 40-Year-Old Virgin, uh, Rogan scored another big break when he became a staff writer for Sasha Baron Cohen's The Ali G Show, and while there, he earned a primetime Emmy nomination along with the show's other writers. So that was a really huge moment for him as well. Now, until this point, when it came to acting, uh, Rogan was typically cast as the dry-witted slacker sidekick, but he finally got his turn as the leading man in Apatow's 2007 hit rom-com, Knocked Up, opposite Catherine Heigl. Uh, and instead of playing the dry-witted slacker sidekick, he was the dry-witted slacker leading man. Uh, that same year, he had a small role in Superbad, which is one of my favorite comedies of all time. I think it's hilarious. Uh, of course, he co-wrote Superbad along with his longtime writing partner, Evan Goldberg. And they actually started writing this when they were 13, continued writing it, I guess, into like adulthood. And and based some of the movies, uh, based some of the movie on their own experiences in high school. And of course, the two main characters in that movie are named Seth and Evan for a reason. Uh, Rogan made his directorial debut with Goldberg in the apocalyptic comedy This Is the End, which also featured fellow Canadian Jay Baruchel, by the way. I would be remiss not to mention another writing and directing project of Rogan and Goldberg's The Interview. Uh, so Rogan also, he had a part in this. He played a journalist tasked with killing North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Perhaps not surprisingly, this didn't make North Korea super happy. Uh, they actually threatened action against the U.S. if the movie was released. Sony delayed the movie, but then its computer systems were hacked by a group that the FBI said had ties to North Korea. So in the end, the interview had a limited theatrical release. 
but was available for download, where it still made, I think, just from downloads alone, like $40 million. And that's the thing about Seth Rogen. He's just plain likable and hilarious. So even when his movies aren't necessarily loved critically, like The Interview or Green Hornet, um, they're still moneymakers, which just goes to show the draw Rogen and his brand of deadpan comedy has. Um, most recently, he can be seen in the comedy drama An American Pickle, which I have not yet seen, but it is on my to-watch list. Um, what else? Uh, you know, I mean, Rogan, he, I think he's a pretty, like, bright star, you know, in Hollywood. Uh, he's also a dual citizen of the U.S. and Canada because his father is American, but he remains a very proud Canadian. He has taken to Twitter to praise Nanaimo bars, Kraft Dinner, Poutine, and the legalization of recreational marijuana, which he's never made um, a secret of, you know, enjoying a lot. So, uh, and that's Seth Rogen. That's great, Melanie. Thanks. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I really, actually, really enjoy Seth Rogen. I do find that uh, he's often this that same sort of type that you described, but. Um, I also find him to be to to come across as pretty genuine, and I like that in a performance of a for a film actor. So, anyway, I'm 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 a fan. <laughs> I know it's, I, Hartman is hard to beat, but I'm I'm a fan. There's definitely something it's very sincere about him. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of too bad that this is is the matchup. Um, just because Phil Hartman, I think everybody loves Phil Hartman, but Seth Rogen, he is unbelievably talented. Um, you just look at some of the movies that he's that he's written or directed, like basically all the funny movies that I've liked in like the last 15 years. He's had some like role in creating, which I, I really like. I had no idea. He's just he's a super, super funny guy. I know he's done work for The Simpsons as well. Oh, my gosh. What else? I have to go through like my list. I, I couldn't believe it when I was doing the research. I was like, oh, he did that, too. Oh, OK. Oh, he was in that. Oh, OK. And he does really original stuff. Like the interview is such an original idea, as is uh, this is the end. And uh, I, a movie I love. A lot of people, hey, I love Sausage Party. I thought that was <laughs> like as a uh, about the the food. Tell us about it. That is alive in the supermarket and stuff like that, and they, and they're conscious, and that, and it's sort of a as a um, a, a man who has uh, no faith. Um, I, I quite enjoy, enjoyed it because it's sort of like a um, it's it was a movie that was about it, it was critical of religion in a way. Like everyone's really happy in the supermarket and they can't wait to get picked to get into the the uh, the shopping cart. And they're like, yeah, I'm free. I'm going to paradise. And, and then um, then the, one of the the jars of pickles gets returned and he's just terrified and he has to tell them all like that the real world is hell out there and <laughs> all the food is actually a lie oh my god it's, it's so funny um <laughs> and then the food finally rebels against the humans and they have like this big supermarket war and uh it's you guys have never seen this uh, it definitely sounds like no. the kind of thing you come up when you smoke come up with when you smoked a lot of marijuana Yes, uh, definitely. It's, it's, <laughs> it's it was one of the most bizarre, but also original movies I've ever I've ever seen. I saw it when it, I saw it in theaters when it came out. Actually, it was so funny. I think, yeah. I mean, he's going to do well. He's well liked. He's current. Tremendous social conscience, 
And one thing like like Melanie, you mentioned the, uh, you know, the dry witted every man, but there's a lot of heart there too. I mean, he has a like a lot of people come down on the comedians who who can't pull off the seriousness, and I think Seth Rogen is not one of those. He he he's like a John Candy where you do feel for him when you're supposed to feel for the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like he's capable of yep. pulling off some tender moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and he uh, he went to Congress, didn't he, to try to convince them to um, invest more money into Alzheimer research? Did you guys ever see that? Um, I'm it's not no- sure that. I know he 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 launched his own charity. Um, oh, I think it's called Hilarity for Charity, and oh. they and they raise money for Alzheimer's research. He's got he's he's involved in a lot of different uh, social stuff social uh, activism um yeah and and he has a real appreciation for his uh canadianism and also for his his the stuff of his childhood he's got a lot of nostalgia there that he uh definitely follows through on mm-hmm. you know uh, yeah. i I, uh, I miss heather because she always has a story about a celebrity but i have a seth rogan story it's not mm-hmm. that great of one but i have a friend Let's call him Barry. And Barry looks a lot like Seth Rogen, and people always say that to him. And a friend of ours was in Vancouver one time and uh, saw Seth Rogen and thought it was Barry and ran up to him. We're like, hey, why? Wow, I didn't even know you were living. And like, so she <laughs> mistook <laughs> Seth Rogen for my friend. And he just looked at her like, what in the fuck are you talking about? Like, oh my God. So you look like my friend, famous Hollywood actor. You look like my friend. <laughs> and Seth Rogen was like, what are you, what are you talking it goes about? Both ways. That's such a great story That's though. Hilarious. Because it never happens that way. It's always the other way around. Yeah. Tell me one of the like, most. Oh, that's what I wanted at all. Tell you one of the most famous actors in the world. I'm sorry, Mr. Hanks, but you look exactly like my uncle, uh, Jim. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a great tactic, though, for approaching a celebrity. (laughs) It does. (laughs) That's that's a good point. I'm so sorry. You look like my friend. So sorry about that. Hey, (laughs) are you busy? You want to grab a drink? (laughs) But yeah, I think... um, I think maybe Keith said it that there's a he has a certain amount of um, vulnerability, and I think it would be easy to dismiss him as an actor, um, or just stereotype him. I guess as like, oh, he plays the stoner. He's got kind of like a really distinct kind of funny voice. Um, he has a vulnerability. There's something really genuine about him, and when he's given the opportunity to take on a more serious role. I think he really comes through. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Okay. Thank you for that, Melanie. I think uh, we're ready to move on. Now, the next one actually was pre-recorded since Matt is, uh, as Keith mentioned, on assignment this evening. Um, but we do have uh, Marie Dressler versus Kim Cattrall. Me presenting Marie Dressler. Matt presenting Kim Cattrall. Um, these were pre-recorded, so we'll probably insert them right about here. Hello, hello. First and foremost, thank you for having me, even though I'm not kind of there. Uh, my apologies to my colleagues, of course, uh, for this pre-recorded 
presentation, and thank you for letting me do so, I would like to talk about my favorite Canadian, Kim Cattrall. Born August 21st, 1956, Kim, like her presenter, is a Leo. Fancy that. And uh, just so my colleagues can collectively grit their teeth ever so slightly, Kim Cattrall was not actually born in Canada, but in the United Kingdom. Kim Wood uh, obviously moved to Canada and started in the 70s uh, doing some various bit parts that, quite frankly, I've never seen, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. However, Ms. Cottrell had a role in the original Police Academy. That's correct, a series that is both the best and the worst of 80s comedy, uh, not to mention a turn in Porky's, which I personally think is a colossal waste of time, but that's neither here nor there. Kim would go on to stretch her range uh, with smaller roles in a variety of 80s classics. Let's look at the big one first. Big Trouble in Little China is one of the best movies of the 1980s. I will absolutely fight about it. Anyone's interested. Kim played a lawyer named Gracie Law and was the love interest for perennial 80s stud Kurt Russell. Damn, is he handsome in Big Trouble in Little China. He's got like the mullet and everything. You've seen it. And if you haven't seen it, make it next, please. Uh, in my opinion, Kim's portrayal of love interest Gracie Law is probably where you will find her in her body of work at her most delicate and charming. It is not a surprise uh, to anybody that knows me that I'm a big Star Trek guy. And Kim made an excellent Vulcan named Valeris in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Many will argue that this is the best of those original series movies. Uh, I don't have three hours to talk about it versus two and four, uh, but there, there's an argument there for sure. And uh, Kim also would put a uh, very vicious stamp. I shouldn't say vicious stamp. That's not the right thing to say at all. Kim made me forget that Kirstie Alley played a Vulcan, because Kirstie Alley was not really a great Vulcan in the motion picture. Anyway, nice to wash that taste out of your mouth. Uh, Kim also got to name, I thought it was really cool that Kim got to name her character in that movie, uh, Eris, uh, the goddess, Greek goddess of strife. Uh, the director was like, well, you got to put a Valeris, just because it sounds more a Vulcan. Um, so she was, you know, I can't really say anymore because I'll have a hard time not spoiling the movie. And I know what you're thinking. Okay, Matt, you're going to spoil a 30-year-old Star Trek movie with the shit. But I'm serious. I'm not going to. Perhaps the crown jewel of Kim's artistic achievement was her turn in Baby Geniuses in 1999, followed closely by what is surely her silver medal, a role in Crossroads, starring Britney Spears. I think it's just pretty obvious that at this time, Kim Cattrall is a working actress. Kim also did some theater work that I really shouldn't comment on because I've never seen it, so that really probably wouldn't be fair. But... Kim was no stranger to Broadway, covering both Shakespeare and Tennessee Williams in her time on the stage. I feel pretty confident that this has been enough foreplay. Let's talk about Samantha Jones. I am not the target market for sex in the city. I'm not now. I wasn't then. I never have been. I have, thanks to various partners in my life, seen that show from start to finish three times, including the two movies. In my opinion, Kim Cattrall is the reason that Sex in the City was successful. The character of Samantha Jones was that show's Kramer, the one that everybody knew, the one that everybody talked about, and Kim Cattrall killed it every time. 
Samantha Jones is an absolute man-eater, if you've never seen the show. But the publicist does have a heart of gold, and over the course of the series, no spoilers, she would grow from a uh, cold, calculating New York City wolf to, in my opinion, a very tender late series moment with Richard, Samantha's just needing love. This is range that this actress has never shown. Again, I didn't see the Broadway stuff. I don't know what's going on there. But nothing in her body of work prior to this suggests what she is able to do in this award-winning role. I think she deserves every second of the accolades, accolades, I'm sorry, that she received from it. That was really, you know, you got to look, when you look back at uh, Kim Cattrall's career, you're like, that's really where she got off the, uh, the train, as star- train of stardom, I guess is what I'm trying to say. After that, she really switched into producing uh, and kind of doing some behind the scenes stuff. She would appear, you know, I'm sure she did. She does little projects that I'm sure she just has interests in or that she might find, you know, for somebody she likes. I don't know. We don't text. My point is, is that I kind of feel like Kim was like, wow, you know, there's no topping that. And so I'm going to go on to do other things. But, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. This is wild speculation, which is neither here nor there. Last but not least, Kim Cattrall had a legendary feud with Sarah Jessica Parker regarding the success of the show, the money earned, the money she was being paid, and obviously because of their feud, the uh, this, this, the series, the uh, the franchise, I guess you could say, since there was two movies, uh, was put to sleep, uh, which at this point I actually believe was fine because the second Sex in the City movie is actually pretty racist and uh, should probably be illegal. I have nothing but respect for Kim Cattrall, and I love anyone that's going to tell Sarah Jessica Parker to go fuck herself. Kim Cattrall has my vote for favorite Canadian actor. So Marie Jessler, my contender right now for Canada's favorite actor. She was born uh, in 1868 in Coburg, uh, Ontario. Uh, According to Wikipedia, she used to sing and assist in operating the uh, organ at St. Peter's Anglican Church. Eventually, her family moved to the United States. She actually left home uh, at a very young age um, and started acting in the theater. This passionate young woman, um, in fact, lied about her age and told the theater company she was working for that she was 18 when she was, in fact, only 14. Dressler aspired to be uh, an opera star, in fact, and made her Broadway debut in 1892 um, and was quite successful, in fact, in in her stage career. Um, uh, For example, she was able to purchase a home for her parents on Long Island. Um, You know, it seems like she basically started working at the age of 14 and didn't stop and continued to get more and more successful. Um, something that really impressed me about Marie Dressler is just how um, ambitious and um, the, her entrepreneurial spirit, I guess. I, she seemed to really approach um, her work as a producer and at, at a time when women were perceived to maybe not be quite as empowered as they are now to make work for themselves. Um, but she was pairing up with people, um, you know, making money, investing money putting on shows where she was a featured performer herself. I get the sense that she recognized her power as a performer and used her, you know, her passion, her drive to make 
to make work happen for herself and to direct her career to some extent. Um, she did meet with some financial difficulty. Um, there were some, I guess, poor investments or as probably many of us um, have experienced to a lesser degree sometimes. Sometimes shows don't work out and you invest in a project that fails and you lose a bunch of money. So uh, she did experience that. So again, her career started in the United States. Um, She moved to London and worked on the stages in London for a time. She came back to the U.S. and uh, entertained the troops during World War I. Um, And of course, many performers of the time and, you know, even today, um, she was a performer both of stage and screen. So as she's developing her theater career, her stage career, uh, she is also starting to get into film. And if you look at um, really her IMDb record, um, you'll see that, you know, there was an attempt at launching a film career in the 1910s. And then she sort of disappeared from film for about 10 years. I think that intersects with her time in London. Well, when she comes back in around 1927, almost a decade later, um, it seems to me that she really continued to work and... I think one of the things that maybe could have been at her to her advantage at that point in her life is that, you know, Marie Dressler was not necessarily known for a pretty face. Um, she wasn't really cast. I shouldn't say she wasn't cast for her looks, <laughs> um, but uh, she wasn't cast as the like young ingenue. That wasn't her hit. Uh, you'll see when she makes that return to the screen. Um, that a lot of the characters were Mrs. So-and-sos. <laughs> um, but uh, Marie Dressler was, you know, a comedian, um, a powerhouse, a very, had a, has a lot of character in her face, I'll put it that way. She's a very, very expressive. Uh, Marie Dressler sadly died from cancer at uh, the age of 65 in 1934. So, you know, if you do the math, that after that return to film in 27 um she she really only had less than a decade to make a pretty substantial impact on um, hollywood another thing that impressed me about marie dressler's bio was just her perseverance um there were a lot of ups and downs in her career a lot of um professional success and failure and Uh, None of those failures or poor investments drove her out of the industry. Um, She continued to press on and really was, really, I guess, was at sort of the height of her career um, by the time she passed away or towards the end of her life. In uh, 1931, she won a Best Actress Academy Award uh, for Min and Bill, and she was nominated again in 1932 for Emma. of our sort of silent film, black and white era um, actors, I guess, uh, Mary Pickford and Norma Shearer. Um, she was the third consecutively to Canadian-born actor to win a, an Academy Award for Best Actress. In politics, she played Hattie Burns, a middle-aged widow who uh, gets fed up with local small-town politics. She plays the title character in Emma, where she uh, is a nanny to these children who ends up marrying their father right before he dies, and they have some trouble sorting out the will. Um, And uh, one of the titles I actually recognize, because I must say I didn't know much about her um, career before 
reading up on Marie Dressler. Um, but uh, one of the films I did recognize was Tugboat Annie, um, where she plays a tugboat captain who tries to bring some uh, young lover- lovers together. So um, in addition to that, she has left in her legacy the Marie Dressler Museum in Coburg, Ontario. Um, where they've established a foundation to uh, to try to bring um, people to Coburg to learn and to learn more about her work and her life. Uh, so that is a little bit about Marie Dressler. I understand that she might not be on the top of many people's lists to go through to the next round, but if she is, I'd be very excited to either pick a film or pick some short films that we could watch as a group. And we'd like to have some uh, some feedback from our panelists who have not yet heard those presentations, but um, we're interested in knowing how what do you think this matchup might look like? Wow, I, I had no idea that Kim Cattrall was a hardened criminal like that. Dan, you made the same joke last time we did this. <laughs> <laughs> Consistency is the hallmark of a champion. That's true. Again, Keith, I'm going to ask you not to give away my whole presentation. <laughs> no, that's right. Uh, well, Marie Dressler, I, I mean, I grew up, my father was a fan of hers. Everybody called her Tugboat Annie. Um, absolute pioneer. She was an extreme talent at the very beginning of the film industry who was an older individual when she first got in there and uh, and didn't didn't survive long into the world of film um but early oscar winner uh a tremendous character actor um and just really left her mark at the very beginning of film um for those who do watch silence like myself and i hope she gets through because i would love to show min and make these guys watch min and bill um <laughs> marie dressler other than being a talented actor like ms cottrell Marie Dresler and uh, Kim Cattrall could not be more different in the types of roles they've played. We're talking that people might say, well, it's two Canadian women. That's about where it ends. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I adore... Worked on stage and screen, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. But even then, I mean, you know, Kim Cattrall, you know, if you were to take, I don't know, Rocky Horror, for example, she was, you know, the original Janet in Canada. Whereas, mm-hmm. uh, Marie Dressler would be far less likely to play Janet than probably any other human <laughs> that's ever been on a stage. You know, she's yeah. just not, uh, very different roles. I mean, but, but, but really accomplished. I think she has, I don't know, 40 film credits or something for a relatively short career in the beginnings of, of film. Yeah. Um, which I found, you know, quite impressive, but again, like up against somebody who is, fairly well known was on one of the most popular television shows out there at a time at one time. I, I'm kind of hoping that uh, Kim Cattrall wins and we all get to watch mannequin myself. <laughs> oh my gosh. I completely forgot about that movie. <laughs> oh, right. And you know, I what? like, I, I, I was like, I really think I only know her from, from sex in the city, but no mannequin. Yeah. And like, <laughs> Consistently cranking stuff out since the 80s, right? Okay, so uh, <laughs> shall we move on to our third? Yeah, I think yes. we better. Okay. Mm. 
All um, right. Yeah. So our our final matchup is actually the oh boy, I don't want to say the word. Three way matchup. A three um, for all. Three three for all. <laughs> um, Tommy <sighs> Chong, Nathan Fillion, and Faye Ray. Uh, that's Dan, Mark, and Keith. I don't know whose game to go first, but I'm excited to hear from all of you. I would like to make just a quick point on this one before we do it. This is a three-way and a three-way match, and Facebook won't allow us to do a three-person poll. So what we're asking our listeners to do for this one is we're going. I'm going to put the pictures up. It'll look very similar to our regular poll, but you'll have to write, type your answer in underneath. Um, if you're worried about anonymity, you can email us at favecanpod at gmail with your favorite of the three. Um, but unfortunately, my hands are pretty tied. And when we have done exterior poll links, um, it just hasn't attracted any any real major traffic. So, uh, yeah, that's how we're going to do this one. Um, so you just type in the one you want, the one of the three. There's going to be one winner and two losers on this one. That's just we had an odd number of nominees and such is life. All right, who wants to go first on this one? I can. Okay. All right, so uh, Nathan Fillion. Um, definitely, I would say, a little bit of a dark horse in the broader range of the actors we're dealing with, but a super dedicated fan base. Uh, this one's going out in particular to the nerd girls out there. Uh, he was born in Edmonton in 1971. Did a bit of theater, TV, and film work before he landed his probably like his first big role would have been on One Life to Live. Got himself a little soap opera action as Joey Riley Buchanan. Didn't really watch a lot of that one myself, but I hear he did an excellent job on it. Um, then he moved on to a rec- did a bunch of smaller stuff for a little while. Moved on to a recurring role on Two Guys and a Girl. Um, but then he really hit his stride after that with the uh, super underserved but highly beloved Firefly as uh, Malcolm Reynolds, Captain Mal. Um, if you haven't seen Firefly and you're into sci-fi at all, do yourself a huge favor and check it out. Uh, real interesting aesthetic. It's like a futuristic sci-fi western with like a really used future um sort of vibe and he just does an excellent excellent job as the lead in that uh he then goes on to do a bunch of smaller stuff but appears in tons of things um small reoccurring roles in like buffy the vampire slayer little spots in like lost desperate housewives but then he got probably his biggest role that he's known for as uh, richard castle in castle um, not something I watched a whole lot of, but anytime it's been on, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But uh, he's won a couple of People's Choice Awards and TV Guide Awards for it. Um, and yeah, just sort of bopped around, did a bunch of small bits on things like The Big Bang Theory, Community, uh, Curl Show, Modern Family, had a reoccurring character in Santa Clarita Diet. He's been on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Rick and Morty, and he's currently... Uh, playing the lead in a show called The Rookie, which I also haven't checked out yet, but I've heard good things. But outside of TV, he's done quite a bit of voice work as well. Uh, A lot of stuff in the DC universe as Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern. 
Um, he's also done quite a bit of voice work in video games. Uh, so numerous appearances in the Halo series, uh, been in both the Destinies, um, and yeah, a couple other little things. And he's also uh, sort of forward thinking. He's been involved in quite a few internet projects. The biggest one that he's been uh, known for was Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog as Captain Hammer. Um, yeah, just super likable energy. I don't know. Like anytime he's on screen, it's just really easy to watch him. I find him really like he can do that commanding lead role thing, but he can also like he doesn't take himself too seriously. You can tell he's have he can have a lot of fun with some of his parts, but still have a bit of that gravity to him. Uh, he's also done like you know a little bit of horror. I think his biggest horror movie would have been Slither. Um, a broad range, uh, and yeah, I just really enjoy him. So that's why you should also vote for him as Canada's favorite actor. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Any thoughts, Doctor Horrible sing along blog? That's my only thought. <laughs> yeah. So who's up next then? I'll go. I'll talk Fay Ray. All right. Fay Ray. Whatever happened to Fay Ray? That delicate satin draped frame. As it clung to her thigh, how I started to cry. Because I wanted to be dressed just the same. Rocky Horror, Frankenfurter. Are you Johnny Ray? Who wants to know? Are you Slim Ray? Who wants to know? Are you Faye Ray? Who wants to know? Who wants to know about me? Two songs featuring the name Faye Ray. Mama Just Wants to Barrel House by Bruce Coburn also mentions Faye Ray. And there's a song by Type O Negative called Fay Ray, Come Out and Play. Why am I saying this? It's a example of how Fay Ray has entered our consciousness based on an amazing career, but based mainly on really one appearance in one film that she did that has made her an absolute icon of pop culture. She was born in near Cardston in Alberta in 1907 and moved to the States when she was around uh, seven years old. Um, she was of a Mormon background and uh, went to the went to Utah for a while, I think, and then went to the Arizona, California area. Um, we talk about Heather Langenkamp and uh, and uh, Nev Campbell, and we say things like, you know, uh, scream queen. Well, Fay Ray was not just a scream queen. She was the queen of screams, which was her nickname at the time. And not just because she did a lot of horror films, but because her scream was the horror movie scream. Uh, it is what people had tried to emulate forever and ever. And it is much a part of the scary movie uh, genre as Bella Lugosi's version of Dracula. At a very young age, she was around 10, Fay Ray got into films uh, as an extra, and she was doing low-budget westerns and silent, of course. Um, and she she made a... When the time came, she made a fairly seamless transition to talkies. And based on one article I had read, it, it seemed like she was one of these actors, like, I think, Chaplin and uh, perhaps Buster Keaton as well, who sort of thought, yeah, bring in the sound, but... That doesn't mean silent films have to end. Silent films can still continue on. She appeared in Eric Von Strom's The Wedding March, 
as the lead. And that's really her first sort of big role and her first sort of big budget role that, that, that didn't sort of fall in the horror genre. She appeared in Dr. X, uh, Mystery of the Wax Museum, were, were two of the highlights of her early career uh, and her horror career. And she also appeared in The Most Dangerous Game, which was shot concurrently with her most famous role as Anne Darrow in King Kong. Uh, she was offered the role um, by a uh, uh, studio executive or the director and said, you've always wanted a tall, dark leading man. Um, so we're going to give you the tallest, darkest leading man we could find. He didn't mention that it was a gigantic gorilla. She took the role and thought it was hilarious. She did 11 films in 1933. That's the year King Kong came out. And, and, the thing about King Kong and, I mean, it was so revolutionary at the time for the special effects and stuff, but it is a, it is a typical story, a Beauty and the Beast, a almost Phantom of the Opera-ish, a little bit of uh, the, the Hunchback and Notre Dame thrown in. She was, her, her nickname, and it was derived from a line in, in King Kong, was, was the beauty that, that killed the beast. The image of King Kong climbing the Empire State Building with this woman in his hand is is just so iconic and so important to every bit of cinema that has come since. There's just something really special about that movie and that role that I just can't can't exactly put my finger on other than the fact, I mean, it was very well played. Um, remakes featured Naomi Watts and Jessica Lange, two performers that I truly think are fantastic, especially Jessica Lange. And she didn't pull off the X factor that that Fay Ray did. In the past, I've talked about Norma Shearer and Mary Pickford in their their attempts to to broaden the scope of what women will appear in and and and, and what types of roles they would be offered. There was a little bit of that with Faye Ray. Like she said at one point, she was annoyed that leading ladies were supposed to just stand there and look beautiful. So that's why she sort of leaned into the horror genre where she got a bit more work to do, a little bit more action, and a little bit more fun, and, and certainly a little bit more range. Um, but she inspired by doing these films, not so much by working the studio system the way the others did. And I think there's something really important, uh, really special about that, that she let sort of let her work do the talking when, when I researched her, there was so, so much less about her and what type of person she was than almost anyone else I've, I've researched for the show. Um, from 1924 to 1950 was basically her career. She retired in 50. She returned in 53 and she made a lot of television appearances. Uh, Perry Mason, Playhouse 90, Alfred Hitchcock presents real McCoy's 77 sunset strip. Um, and then sort of slipped into another retirement again. She was offered two roles towards the end of her life, and she turned them both down. Um, she was offered a cameo in the Peter Jackson remake of King Kong, and she was very polite. I believe she even met with Nomi Watts, but just said, you're not going to be able to do it the way we did it, and you're not, you know, it's not going to be the movie that one was. She was also offered the role of Rose in Titanic that she turned down and Gloria Stewart took um, that might have been a neat thing to see her do, but she just didn't think it was going to be uh, that great of an experience. She was very satisfied with with where she was in her life at that point in time. She did go through a period where everything was King Kong and she didn't want to hear much about it, but she really, really, really softened on that later. Um, loved meeting with fans and whatnot. Absolutely loved going to the Empire State Building, going back. It was a very special place for her. 
she went back as a guest of honor for the 60th anniversary. And uh, and when she died in 2004, at the age of 96, the Empire State Building lowered the lights. They dimmed the lights for 15 minutes in her honor. Um, and she said, King Kong is my friend. He's been my public relations man for years. So she had a great uh, sense of humor about her role. She was also a playwright. She wrote her autobiography. And an interesting note about that is that her scream, her actual scream that she made with her voice, uh, there were reports that it was reused for other actors uh, miming to it for uh, for decades. They re just kept using her scream. Faye Ray, it's uh, kind of a, I don't want to say one hit wonder because there's absolutely some other great movies there, but her performance in King Kong is so iconic that I know cinephiles, people that are really into movies that don't even, don't even really know the character's name. They just know, they don't know Anne Darrow. They just call it Faye Ray. How many people say there's King Kong and Faye Ray? It's just, she made that role her own and uh it's it's just an, like i said it a million times it's just such an iconic image of of that woman in the in the the gorilla's hands uh, going up the uh going up the side of the, the the building another long shot i understand who she's up against but uh you know in, in a sense of uh someone who 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 has left a mark in the history of film uh i would say fay ray might be number one and that's what I've got on Faye Ray. Thanks, Keith. Um, you always dig up such great stuff on these uh, these actors who were working before social media. <laughs> All right, let's quickly move along to uh, Dan. Are you ready to talk about Tommy Chong? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what can I say about Tommy Chong? Tommy Chong is to marijuana as Seth Rogen is to marijuana. Um, and oddly enough, I did not know this before we started, uh, ladies and gentlemen, our third Albertan in this battle, Tommy Chong was actually um, from Edmonton, Alberta, where I spent some time as well. And uh, just like me, um, turned to pot to deal with the uh, depression that is living in Edmonton in the winter. Um and he actually made a break for it um, and went to Vancouver, um, and he wanted to be a musician. He was actually really successful. Um, he had started a band uh, called uh, The Vancouverers, <laughs> which is – I assume that like Chicago and Boston were around at the same time, and you just named your band after the city that you were in. I think that was pretty popular back then. Um, but they were I – I guess they were pretty good because they got signed to a subsidiary – record label that was owned by Motown Records. Um, and they did actually make it onto the Billboard Top 100. I, I don't think it was like a huge, massive success, but it certainly wasn't a failure getting signed to, uh, you know, be involved with Motown Records. And he was a very accomplished guitar player and singer and songwriter. And eventually, though, the band broke up. And I heard him in an interview once. Um, it was most likely on cue. Um, that... Um, during, during like breaks and songs and stuff, he and the band members would riff and joke around. And eventually he started playing clubs and stuff with his friend Cheech Marin. And people liked the sketches more than their songs eventually. So he and his friend Cheech Marin started recording comedy albums and doing sketches around um, um, around the States and stuff. And uh, they um, hit 
the uh, the uh, the head on the nail because um, they were absolutely hilarious and they did joke songs and stuff like that, but they did a lot of sketches, and that led to a another uh, career in the recording industry, but um, with comedy albums, and they were nominated four times, and they won uh, a Grammy for best comedy album for Los Cot. Chinkos. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Christine, you can correct me later. I know you study Spanish. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of my favorite comedy albums of all time, and I still listen to it all the time. I, I don't have the vinyl copy anymore, but there are just certain skits that are on that album that anyone uh, who, like me, listened to that album growing up can still recite the entire sketch from start to finish. Um Great characters like Offer Stadenko, uh, the Dave's Not Here guy, um, Bob Bitchin on Let's Make a Dope Deal. Um, it, it's just such a great album. And all their comedy albums were great. And that, you know, of course, they had the theme of marijuana and pot and drugs. Um, but they always kind of like, they, they wouldn't really promote the drugs as like, you know, this this uh, great and wonderful thing. It's kind of poke fun at the drug culture and, you know, uh, making fun of like, you know, um, the stoner. And um, but every now and again, they'd have like a, a, a straight like sketch in it and it would be absolutely brilliant. And uh, in in the middle of these albums, they'd also have these really hilarious songs like um, the song Basketball Jones, which appeared in the um, uh, Space Jam. That's it. Space Jam. Um, it was actually um, re-recorded by a bunch of different artists, and I think Chris Rock actually made an appearance on that track, which is pretty remarkable. Um, their recording career, uh, as his he and his partner Cheech Marin later, um, they moved on to film, and they made a lot of really great films. Um, uh, in the uh, tradition of their albums, the stoner culture films, but um, they did Cheech and Chong, Up and Smoke, Cheech and Chong. Um, uh, second movie, and they also had the. I have to look this up. Apologies, everyone. The Brothers, which is my favorite Cheech and Chong movie. Uh, oh yeah, the Corsican Brothers, where um, there are two twins that can. Uh, if one thing happens to the other one, the other one feels it. Um, like if they get stabbed in the hand, the other guy can feel it. Um, that's kind of a thing. And they did a lot of like physical comedy in that movie. And uh, it's a classic. It's very funny. Um, eventually, though, um, they're, they they broke up, um, I believe, in the like late 80s, mid 80s. Um, creative differences, but also Cheech Marin wanted to pursue his acting career, uh, solo acting career. And I think he went on to, to star in a sitcom with Chuck Norris. No. A drama with Chuck Norris. I can't remember. But uh, Tommy Chong uh, went on with his career um, as a, a solo artist and also pursuing a career as, as an actor. Um, he's been in a bunch of movies. Um, he usually plays the stoner. He was in um, Half-Baked uh, with uh, Dave Chappelle. He was um, the the guy in the prison, and he uh, was – he just oh, – that role was really funny. Um, and then later he ended up going back to um, the, uh, the small screen or not back to to the small screen. And he played Leo, um, which was kind of like uh, the surrogate fodder on that 70s show to all the all the kids in the show to 
to Eric and, you know, Fez and all those great characters. And um, he sort of basically just played himself, um, which he's done through a, a lot of his career. But he's he doesn't really need to put on a character because he's Tommy Chong, man. He's the best. And uh, it just it still makes me mad to this day that. Um, he did get thrown into prison for a while for the most ridiculous uh, reason in the world. He became a naturalized citizen in America, but he's still ours. Um, and they threw him in jail because they put his face on a bong. And he actually spent time in prison in America because his face was on a bong. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and I hope someday he comes he comes home back to where he belongs here in Canada because now it's it's legal here, baby. And uh, so <laughs> uh, that is my pitch for the uh, for Mr. Chong, Edmonton's greatest hero. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. It was Dan. Uh, it was uh, Cheech was on the other one, not Walker. He she, he was on uh, Nash Bridges with Don Johnson. Oh wait, mm. he wasn't on Walker. He wasn't no. with the. Oh shit. <laughs> No, no. The reason I know that is because I made the same mistake so many times because I can picture Cheech on Walker, Texas Ranger, but it was Nash Bridges. Well, I'm not going to lie. I do love Cheech uh, as much as I love Tommy Chong. I've never actually watched either of those shows. I just knew he was in one of them. And uh, he also, Cheech also had a really pretty decent movie career, too. He played some some very serious roles and Tommy Chong appeared in a lot of movies as well. Yeah. Um, it's usually Far. the stone guy. Like yeah, he was Far, even in, Far Z- Out, man. yeah, was he was this- in uh, Zootopia and I think he played a stoned yak like, or something. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if uh, you watch the movie Zootopia, he's in that for a minute and he's like a stoned animal. And but, they did sort of a, uh, they did sort of a reunion through South park as well. Um, actually, they yeah. did- they did the, get back together and go yeah. on tour. They reconciled and they went on tour and they did like Dave's not here and um, uh, that drive-in sketch that they do, um, and a couple other their classics. The kids in the classroom. That's always was it the <laughs> are the teachers trying to yes. give uh, the the lecture on yes yes yeah, it's drug safety. Yeah, Teresa Mary Elephant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. It's uh, oh no Elephant. Yeah, and uh, Officer Stadenko comes to the class, yeah. and uh, yeah, you can. That's oh man, I loved I loved that album growing up. I listened to it like a hundred times. More. I, I mentioned this on a previous episode, but Corsican Brothers was actually stuck in a VCR I owned, so I've seen that a lot and uh, <laughs> funny stuff. Yeah, it's it's uh it's, and I I like that they did that too. That they stepped away from the stoner comedy, and they were like, let's just do some kind of fantasy, strange, bizarro like knights and goblins and stuff. And it was and his daughter, uh, his daughter's Don Don Ray Chong, isn't she? I don't know. I know his son was the guy who started the business that put his face on a bond that landed him in jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's his daughter, and she's quite talented as well. And Ray Dong Chong? Yeah, am I saying it wrong? I think it's Ray Don Ray Chong. Okay, so it's, it is Ray Don, is it? Yeah, yeah, she was uh, opposite Schwarzenegger in Commando, and she yes. was fantastic in it. Oh, she, yeah. Oh, she cool. Was, yeah, yeah, color purple, too. Um, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's his daughter. Okay, cool. Yeah, it is. Is this, but is this the first time we've had three people yeah. from the same province in one all-out brawl? Well, it's the first time planned. 
first time. No, it was the first time we had three at all. Um, oh, right, of course, <laughs> yes. But uh, but no, it was just uh, they were the last on the list. Wow, what are the odds? Yeah. Also, uh, interesting tidbit to tie them together. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was um, a bit of a, a push to get a celebrity voice to do the Edmonton Transit voices. And uh, the the forerunner was Tommy Chong. And then a bunch of people sort of came out and made a case for Nathan Fillion. And then uh, the city of Edmonton just decided to, to go with Fay Ray's scream every time they made a stop. <laughs> Is it true? Uh, not the last part, well, but the first two. Okay. <laughs> Ray's not actually connected to it. But yeah. the, the city decided not to have a celebrity voice, but those okay. two were going head-to-head in the city for two different camps trying to get their voices in. Seth Rogen did that in Vancouver for a little while. Yeah. It's a very strange field. The three, like, super different. All three of them, eh? Yeah, well, I, I like totally. that. The, the peaks of careers are 30s, 70s, and 90s, if I could. Or, uh, no, it's 30s, 70s, and today, yeah. yeah. It um, sounds like the guest list for one of those, uh, like, uh, ooh, dead or alive, would you like to have at a dinner party? That's what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, anything else to say about the big three there, uh, Christine or Mel? I'm not as well-versed on, these, uh, on, on this trio. As mm. other ones, so I'm going to let the experts um, handle that. <laughs> yeah, I'm with Melanie. I um, uh, Keith, like I said, I'm. I mean, you always dig up really good information on a lot of uh, actors that I just know nothing about or knew nothing about, and uh, presented in a way that really makes me think, boy, that person should win. Um, and then they never do. And then they never do, <laughs> uh, because I am a t- just a terrible guesser. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm. I think it's kind of like a weird <laughs> and interesting matchup because they're just all so different. And mm-hmm. I guess that's true of a lot of a lot of our face-offs. But um, I think this is going to help us do some work on our demographics. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay. I kind of feel like Tommy Chong's got the edge unless I go lurking around like uh, a Firefly Reddit group. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. They've got um they've got a dedicated fan base. Yeah. I would say, mm-hmm. I would say name recognition though. Like everybody at least knows what Cheech and Chong stands for. Even if yeah. they've never seen any of the movies or heard any of the skits, they know stoner humor, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean name-wise I, I think Chong, if people, and and I don't know what the, I mean, I, I look at the demographics frequently and I'm looking more at like age and gender. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always wonder what, you know, when, if I was to say Cheech Marin, are people that aren't familiar with the work on, on honestly going to go, Oh, that's Cheech from Cheech and Chong. Mm-hmm. Or in the same with Tommy Chong, it's like, there are other Chongs out there that, that aren't him, you know? So I, yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not truly that familiar with like either of their work, but that's <laughs> who I assume you would be talking about until you. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and for like, for the people I've presented thus far, Fay Ray is the one that I'm least familiar with. Now I've seen King Kong a bunch of times. Right. So of all of them, she's the one I'm least familiar with the work, but just that, you know, that iconic image of, 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 of 
King Kong with a lady. I mean, how many friggin' times has that been referenced? Parody. <laughs> yeah. Oh, know. yeah. She's definitely the most culturally alive out of all the, the old-timey actresses mm-hmm. that we've had represented. Yeah. Yeah. But how well do people know the name and the picture that isn't her being carried by a gorilla, you know? So, yeah. Well, I'm going to be honest. I did not recognize the name. And then I was like, oh, yeah, King Kong lady. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could see her face. I knew exactly what she looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, like the rest, you know, her body of work, otherwise, was not familiar with. So I really enjoyed your presentation. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and plus two, I mean, we have three kind, three types of voters. We have listeners, we have uh, the Facebook people, and we have <laughs> like we have people that listen and will hear the presentations and they'll vote whatever way they're going to vote. But we also have Facebook members who don't always listen, who will be looking for the polls and, 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 and will vote on the polls. And then we have the third group, which is just our friends that happen to see you know, when we share it on our newsfeed and a lot of them just click whatever person they know without, without even giving it much thought. And then the fourth batch is the ones that just scroll past it like any other spam, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's just, I mean, it's going to depend on who, who does what again, mm. uh, which is the point of this because sort of the cross section of society are, are all those people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So without having heard Christine and Matt's presentation as well, we'll have to do this. Christine, what are your thoughts on the Seth Rogen, Phil Hartman result? Yeah, I think it's going to be Hartman, but I think Seth Rogen is, is if he goes on to the next round, would be a great candidate for Canada's favorite actor. Um, but yeah, I do think it'll probably be Phil Hartman. And I think, like we discussed, so many people were just so um, affected by his death, I guess. Um, and just huge fans of his work and he had such a, such a body of work for a person who really was a young, young person, um, when he died that, yeah, I think it'll be Phil, um, Uh, Marie Dressler versus Kim Cattrall. I think it'll probably be Kim Cattrall for the name recognition, but like you say, there could be this, the Shatner effect thing (laughs) happening there. Um, and I have no idea with Tommy Chong, Nathan Fillion, Fay Ray, I, but I'm guessing probably Tommy Chong. Thank you, Christine. Mark? I'd say Christine pretty much nailed it there. Right. <laughs> um, ding, yeah. Ding. Uh, you know, Kim Cattrall definitely has the name recognition. Um, I'd say with the, the first one though, uh, you know, uh, Phil Hartman for sure is a legend and he has my vote, but I think there is a certain, you know, age of person who might get tapped into this. Like Seth Rogen's a pretty big deal nowadays, you know? So if you, you missed out on Phil Hartman, there's not a lot of stuff of his that like lingers in this, the conscious it's more stuck in its time. So you might have a little bit better of a shot, but I still think Hartman's going to take it. And yeah, Tommy Chong for name recognition, I would say. Damn. Um, well, <laughs> I, I think uh, I have to pick my two guys, uh, <laughs> Tommy Chong and uh, and Phil Hartman. Although I, I will say I do really like Seth Rogen and um, Nathan Fillion. I'm a huge fan. I'm actually I don't know why I'm so ashamed of this. I've seen every episode of Castle. 
I was a huge fan of that show. I used to watch it like secretly. Like someone would come in, I'd change the channel. I don't know why, but I actually, <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry. Like, it's not like you're watching My Little Pony or anything. Yeah. I was like, being, being no offense part. to My Little Pony fans out there. Dan quickly, to save face, Dan would quickly switch it over to really vile porn. He'd be like, nope, not just. <laughs> oh, sorry, I was just, just couldn't wait to see what happened in this. Just tell us. Dan wants to vote for Nathan Fillion, but he's he's too ashamed. Huge, huge, <laughs> huge fan of that show. It was actually a, a really brilliant show. And favorite, I didn't know uh, that was her name, but the but like a lot a lot of people, I uh, I am familiar with the iconic character um, from King Kong. Um, the uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go undecided on the first pair there or the second pair there i don't know enough about the actor's work i might have to go and look them both up and take a look because mm. i'm aware of sex in the city but i'm pretty sure i've never seen an episode you probably weren't the target demographic <laughs> i yeah i don't know i don't think i know much about either of you never saw big guys. trouble in little china Maybe when he was a kid, I think you got to rewatch it, bro. Oh, it's so, so good. In Mannequin, I think I saw. A, <laughs> I, I I don't know about that one. And um, it's about a mannequin that comes to life. Oh, wow! Like Pinocchio, but like, <laughs> kinda, but like yeah. sexy and in the eighties and in a mall. Is it a John Hughes movie? Uh, probably. Nokia. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know enough about about those about those other characters, so I I will uh, I will just say undecided right now. Melanie, you can't be okay. I had such a dirty joke to make just now. Um, right. Uh, Phil, sadly, I think I think um, I think uh, Christine said that. It, if if maybe it was another matchup, or if Seth like Rogan made his managed to to win this round, that it would be um, great because I think he'd be a really good contender. Um, but yeah, I do think that Phil Hartman's probably going to take this one, and then I'm going to say Kim, and then I'm actually going to say Nathan. I'm going to hmm. and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Thank you. For me, Keith, the results on these three, more than any battles we've had thus far, is going to depend on what segment of the internet discovers mm -hmm. um, If the Firefly fans um, find... And the Castle fans, apparently. Uh, yeah, well, there's only one Castle fan on the internet in the panel. Um <laughs> No, uh, if the Firefly fans find this, it could be Nathan Fillion. Um, as far as the Seth, uh, Seth Rogen, Phil Hartman one goes, um, I, I do think Phil Hartman is still big enough, and especially with people our age group. Mm -hmm. If we were 10, 15, 20 years younger doing this exact thing, spreading it out to our friends and listeners, it might go a different way. But I think based on the age demographic of who this podcast reaches, um, it's great for Phil Hartman. So, I, And I do think Phil Hartman, they both deserve it. Phil deserves it slightly more. Deserving means absolutely nothing, but sometimes it does play into it. 
Marie Dressler, Kim Cattrall. Um, I'm going to, with Kim Cattrall. There is the Star Trek bit mm -hmm. there. She's liked on Star Trek. Um, I, I will personally be voting for Marie Dressler because other than very few on this list, I think she uh, is well-deserving, um, ex was extremely talented, and sadly, because she was, you know, so, so, so very, very long ago, um, never really got the, uh, doesn't have the name rec recognition these days that she should. And if I can write that wrong by putting my name forward to maybe break a tie that she gets into the next <laughs> round. <I think> <laughs> um, going back to the, the three, the three way, the, the, uh, that one. Um, and the, the mental picture of Nathan Philly and Ch Tommy Chong no, with Bay no, Ray. You know, no, not, no. I don't want to go there. <laughs> you just um, made everybody else go there. Huh. I know, and I'm not, so that's good. Um, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Part of what we do on this show is is as as Matt has explained to his own detriment is push it, and uh, I think Fay Ray deserves it and and i'm you know as producer i will be putting the regular picture up on the page mm. but i will be sharing that one to fey ray and king kong fans the world over because uh i i've lost a lot i <laughs> i've had some pretty talented people and 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 i'm gonna be frank right now about this um Mary Pickford just squeaked by Michael Ironside. That is a tragedy. She should have killed him, and I'm saying that because Matt's not here. <laughs> and uh, Norma Shearer should not have lost um, and lost what for the wrong reason. Again? What's that? Who did she lose to again? Oh, some some bum called Christopher Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think I, I think as far as early Hollywood and 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 Faye Ray's a little later. But for early Hollywood, we had some amazing women, amazing men too. Don't get me wrong, but in this case, it's the the women that come up. We had some amazing women doing some amazing things, um, at a time when people weren't doing things. And and, and sadly, Mary Pickford right now is the only one through. Mm. Um, and I think, I think when and and God, uh, I wish, you know, I feel bad saying this, but. When someone like Norma Shearer gets absolutely creamed or someone like Bruno Gerussi gets absolutely creamed and, and eliminated and, uh, and, 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 you know, Wayne Robson, God bless him, almost gets through. It's telling me it's time to take the kid gloves off and, uh, <laughs> and start pushing for some real talent. You know what I'm saying, And I'm all kidding. Wayne Robson's fantastic, but... Um, yeah, for that one, I'm going to actually say Tommy Chong probably has it in the bag. And don't worry, guys, I'm going to edit about half of that speech away. <laughs> uh, oh, and Matt has given his predictions as well. Uh, for this one. And Matt just wrote to me, M. Phil Chong. So, looks like most of us are on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm the only one who thinks Nathan Fillion. I think he has an amazing chance if the Firefly people find it. Yeah. You know what? And they will. <laughs> uh, that's what I like to hear. Yeah. 
And I mean, Doctor Singalong or Doctor Horrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Doctor Singalong is a. Yeah, I mean, he probably got it. I'd love to see old Faye go through, but I have a feeling something will go wrong for Faye. This has been like, uh, for me anyway, such a great opportunity to learn about some of these, um, especially like the silent film stars, the folks that were around before I started watching television and movies, you know. Mm. Before your parents started. Before my parents started. (laughs) Your grandparents weren't even watching at that point, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, in order to vote, go to at FaveCanPod at uh, Facebook, um, at uh, FaveCanPod on Twitter, uh, FaveCanPod at gmail.com. We're on SoundCloud at uh, Your Favorite Canadian. We're also now on YouTube. Uh, there's a group out there, then there's some cross-pollination called Lion's Den Audio Theater, based off of Lion's Den Theater, which is a Halifax theater group but we're doing a lot of audio drama and we're just throwing these episodes up there now on that site on youtube we don't yet have enough subscribers to get our own url so it's a big long one right now if we can get 100 subscribers it can just be youtube at lion's den theater or something like that um so we've got that up on the we're going up there as well uh to vote uh facebook for now now bear in mind the three-person voting uh the Tommy Chong, Nathan Philly, and Faye Ray. That one, you're actually going to have to type an answer in, unfortunately, um, because Facebook won't let us do a poll, and I'm just not going to get people to click a link to a weird site other than the one, <laughs> other than the one we did. <laughs> Anything else, oh, Christine? No, I just want to thank everybody once again, as always, for your terrific and thoughtful presentations on all of our nominees. It's always great to hear from y'all. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. It was great. Thanks. And wherever you are, whenever you are, thank you for listening.